I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Capehart. The world is nervously watching the buildup of Russian forces on the border with Ukraine and wondering when, not if, they will launch an attack. As the United States and the West turn up the pressure on Russian President Vladimir Putin, diplomatic efforts to de-escalate the situation continue. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the United States ambassador to the United Nations, is leading those efforts at the UN. But even she left no doubt what could happen if diplomacy fails. They can opt for de-escalation, they can opt for dialogue, they can opt for diplomacy, or they can take the alternative route, which would be an aggressive action against Ukraine, and our response will be strong to that action. A lot has happened since this conversation was first recorded on January 18th for Washington Post Live. But the fundamentals of what Ambassador Thomas Greenfield discusses hold firm. Joining me now is the United States Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Ambassador, welcome back to Cape Hard. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? Delighted to be here with you. I am great. Thank you so much for coming back to the podcast, but also we're coming back now. There is so much uh, breaking news to get to uh, in this interview about Ukraine. Let's start with the news that hit just moments before we came on, and that is Secretary of State Antony Blinken is headed to Ukraine this week. Do you know what precipitated the Secretary of State's uh, previously unplanned travel to the country? Look, uh, Jonathan, President Biden told all of us who are his diplomats that he wants to put diplomacy first. And our most important diplomat is Secretary Blinken. And he is using his platform to engage with all of our partners, including the Ukrainians. And while you may not have known about this in advance, uh, it has always been on his agenda to engage with uh, with the Ukrainians on a regular basis as I have engaged with uh, with them in New York and with all of our partners in New York. We're putting diplomacy at the forefront of all of our engagements to address this issue. And we want to be able to engage with the Ukrainians on this. Secretary um, Biden and the uh, Secretary Blinken and President Biden both said, we're not going to have discussions with the Russians about you without you. This is part of our diplomatic engagement and it's mm -hmm. not unusual. Now, I mean, I understand that the Secretary of State has been, in, has been engaging with uh, the Ukrainians um, out of public view, mostly, but this, it, this will be face-to-face. -face. So we shouldldn't read anything into this face-to-face -face meeting this week, especially given the news um, that we all woke up to this morning that the, the Russians have been withdrawing personnel from their, from their diplomatic uh, outposts in Ukraine. And some are viewing that as potentially a prelude or, or a sign that an invasion is imminent. Well, certainly we will continue to engage with them on the diplomatic front and any actions that we've seen that the Russians have taken that may indicate that they're moving forward will cause us to ramp up our efforts as well in terms of our engagements with, with our partners. So again, the secretary's trip to Ukraine announced this morning is part of that ramp up of engagement. 
Another story, um, or at least nugget within within stories about what's happening over there is the news that the, the Russian military exercises in neighboring Belarus. And one of the concerns is that those exercise, military exercises could end up r resulting in a permanent Russian um, presence in Belarus. And the concern behind that is that it would make it possible for the Russians to crawl, race over the border from the north, from the south, from Crimea, and from the east. What's the concern um, the United States has about those military exercises? I mean, we're concerned about the exercises, but we're also concerned about the buildup on the border uh, with Ukraine. All of those signal to us that the Russians are looking at Ukraine in an aggressive way. So it's not just one action. Uh, it's the accumulation of actions and the uh, intensity of their actions that has, have caused us to uh, raise our concerns about this situation and to uh, encourage others to uh, address this situation uh, very, very aggressively. Um, as you mentioned, there are 106, you're talking about the massive troop um, buildup on the border with Ukraine, but there are 106,000 Russian troops, 1,500 tanks near its border. As we sit right now, how close is Russia to invading Ukraine? Uh, that's the question that only the Russians can answer for you, but their actions show to us that they are taking, making moves that would suggest that they have plans to uh, invade Ukraine. And we will continue to engage with them diplomatically and hopefully discourage them from, from taking that extraordinarily mm -hmm. aggressive step. But should they decide to take that step, they know what our response will be. President. Uh, Biden has made clear to President Putin that we will respond aggressively and we are working with our allies who will support efforts to engage aggressively with the Russians on, on this. So our and hope wanna, is yeah. for the course of the next few days that our, our diplomatic approach will work. Okay, and I wanna talk about the potential um, US response or responses uh, if the Russians do invade. But I do want to talk about some of the aggressive action, a few more aggressive actions that the Russians have taken within the last within the last five days. On Friday, um, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki uh, accused the Russians of a, quote, false flag operation um, uh, that the Russians were engaging in to make it look like the Ukra Ukrainians were being aggressors as a pretext for Russians retaliating. But at the same time, on that same day, um, Ukrainian government uh, entities were hit with a cyber attack with some of the some of the government websites being hit with a warning that read, quote, be afraid and expect the worst. Um, that cyber attack came just a day after talks broke down between uh, the Russians and the West. How alarming was that cyber attack to the United States? Well, look, we, I, I don't uh, agree that talks have broken down. We are continuing to engage with, uh, with the Russians. You know that uh, uh, it was announced this morning that Secretary Blinken spoke with Foreign Minister Lavrov. So we're still talking to uh, the Russians, but we're also watching their actions and we're watching their actions very, very closely. The cyber attack that took place uh, uh, over the weekend is being looked at and analyzed to 
see where that cyber attack came from. We know that the Russians will use other tactics uh, to undermine uh, a, a country. And so we're expecting these kinds of actions to take place. Uh, the misinformation, the disinformation that the Ukrainians themselves are, are initiating actions against Russia, this is all part of their playbook. We understand it quite well, but we know and, and they know uh, that we're watching uh, closely and they know what to expect should they uh, take any uh, uh, aggressive move toward invading uh, Ukraine. Was well, it interesting you say that the two side the the talks are still going on, that folks are still talking. On January 13th, Russian officials indicated they they might abandon diplomatic efforts to resolve the situation. One senior Russian diplomat said talks are approaching, quote, a dead end. Judging from your answer, the United States doesn't doesn't see it that way, does it? You know, we're not going to give up until they uh, take an, an aggressive action. We're still going to keep pushing them. We're going to keep uh, uh, our, our, our foot on the, on the accelerator on this so that they understand that they have two options. They can opt for de-escalation, they can opt for dialogue, and they can opt for diplomacy, or they can take the alternative route, which would be an aggressive action uh, against Ukraine, and our response will be strong to that action. Okay, so then let, let's talk about what the U.S. response would be. There are, you know, economic sanctions that could happen. How aggressive would the United States be on sanctions, on economic sanctions? Would the United States go so far as to freeze the bank accounts, not just of prominent Russians and people who are close to Vladimir Putin, but to freeze Vladimir Putin's accounts um, uh, uh, also? Look, Jonathan, we've said that we will uh, apply sanctions to the Russians, and they know what those sanctions will entail. I'm not going to uh, advance what our playbook will be in terms of who we will apply those sanctions to and when we will apply those sanctions, but the Russians know to expect them, uh, and they know uh, the impact that they will have on, on, on the Russian economy. And then the next question is, and I think a lot of Americans are wondering this, that if indeed the Russians do invade Ukraine and do so militarily with some of the hundred plus thousand troops, with some of the, the tanks, uh, hundreds of tanks that they have over there, will the United States, will NATO send the military in to uh, help protect Ukraine, defend Ukraine? We've provided Ukraine close to a billion dollars in military support to help them to prepare for uh, such an eventuality. And we are also having discussions with our NATO partners and other allies on how we will respond uh, once the Russians, or should the Russians take such an action. But again, this is not something that I can preview for, for you to help the Russians prepare for responding to, to our actions. Um, you know, um, Jake Sullivan, President Biden's national security advisor, said the United States was ready for further talks, but also said, quote, we have been very clear with Russia on the costs and co consequences of further military action or destabilization. So we're ready either way. So given that quote and given what you just said, the, the United States is prepared to do anything and everything, including military action. 
we're prepared, as you uh, quote from Jake, to take the necessary actions to respond to uh, to Russian aggression, including uh, in New York at the Security Council, where I will be leading efforts to bring this before the council. If the Russians make the decision to invade Ukraine, this is an attack on the entire UN Charter. Uh, it is an attack on peace and security uh, around the globe. And this is something that we will address also uh, in the council and the Russians should be prepared for that. Uh, we have already had discussions uh, uh, with uh, various colleagues and allies in New York. Uh, they are aware of our position and they know to expect that should uh, Russia make this move that we will come to the council and we will come quickly uh, to the council. So Ambassador, on that point, and when you talk about the council, you're talking about the, the Security Council, where Russia has veto power, just in the same way that the United States does and, and, and China does. So what, what exactly can the Security Council do when the potential offender the, the 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 person or the entity that um, makes it gives the reason for the Security Council to meet and to come up with actions has a veto has veto power over what the Security Council can actually do in response. You know, in 2014, when the Russians invaded Crimea, uh, we brought a resolution before the Council, and we got 13 votes for one abstention and the Russian uh, veto. Russia was isolated and they saw and felt the isolation. And that would be the purpose of coming before the council. Of course, they will veto any resolution that uh, involves them, but they will be totally isolated and they will be on the defensive. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. And why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. Monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Is there anything more the, the United Nations, and particularly the Security Council, can do uh, if slash when the Russians roll over that border? Uh, we can expose what they, they do when they roll over the border. Uh, they use their dis disinformation campaign, not just in Ukraine and around the globe, but they use their disinformation campaign at the Security Council. And we can expose their, their actions and publicize their actions uh, in the Security Council. Um, you know, we, there was a bipartisan delegation of U.S. senators that um, were in that was in uh, Ukraine. Do you have? Can you give us a readout of how those meetings went? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a readout from uh, uh, from their visit, but I, I'm 
I can tell you that I know that they expressed our strong support uh, for Ukraine's, for Ukraine's independence, uh, for Ukraine's sovereignty, and for their, their ability to uh, defend themselves. Uh, over the weekend, the New York Times reported that Russian officials, quote unquote, hinted that Moscow could place nuclear, nuclear missiles close to the US coastline, which could reduce after launch warning times to five minutes. That's a provocative hint. What's your reaction? What's the United States reaction to that news? You know, the, the Russians are pulling uh, uh, every straw out of uh, the basket that they can pull out uh, to intimidate us into allowing them to take this action. Uh, we, they know that if they take such an aggressive action against the United States, that again, they can expect a response and that response mm -hmm. will be a strong response. And is it safe to assume that that provocative hint is related to the cool reception Russia got to its demand that NATO drastically scale back its presence near Russia's borders uh, in Eastern Europe? Uh, I, I, again, I know that they're trying to uh, respond uh, in a way to intimidate the world, but we're not going to allow ourselves to, to be intimidated, nor will we allow uh, Ukraine to be intimidated into compromising its own security. You know, Ambassador, a lot of the actions taken by Russia, aggressive actions, as, as you've, I think, accurately called them, from this provocative hint to the troops on the border, tanks on the border, um, the, the cyber attack that just happened on Ukraine, makes me wonder how much of what Russian President Vladimir Putin is doing, how much of what Russia is doing is related to what's happening here in the United States. And I'm not asking you this question to, to get you into a, a conversation about politics, but I'm wondering how much does the president standing here at home, the low, the low approval ratings that he has, um, what's going on, you know, the, the tussle uh, that's happening in the Senate, uh, you know, with the president's domestic agenda from Build Back Better to, to voting rights, how much of that do you think is playing into Russia's calculations in terms of how far they can push in terms of these aggressive actions and questioning whether the United States is at a weak point so we can do this or the president is at President Biden is at a weak point and therefore distracted and won't follow through on the consequences that you and Jake Sullivan and Secretary, Secretary of State Blinken have been talking about for weeks. You know, I can't uh, analyze uh, the uh, motives of, of, of President Putin or, or what is playing into his calculus for uh, the aggressive stance that uh, he's taken. Uh, but the president and this administration has uh, a lot of, uh, to be proud of. Uh, we have exerted our leadership globally uh, we have exerted our leadership multilaterally. Uh, our leadership uh, in the UN is as strong as it's ever been. Uh, and our leadership and our respect around the globe is, is equally strong. Uh, if, if Putin is calculating uh, that uh, he can pressure the president because of uh, the challenges that the president is, is working diligently on, here in the United States, I think it's a miscalculation uh, mm -hmm. to be very, very frank with you. 
uh, it's an extraordinary miscalculation because at this moment in time, uh, we are forging forward uh, uh, aggressively to address uh, the challenges that uh, we're facing here in, in the United States. We're addressing uh, the COVID uh, uh, pandemic. Uh, we're uh, addressing issues related to the economy. Uh, and we're pushing back hard to, to uh, fight for uh, uh, issues related to, to, to voting rights. Uh, but at the same time, we have not taken our eyes off what is happening internationally and globally. And it does not uh, in any way affect uh, how we will respond to an aggressive action mm -hmm. by, by the Russians. You know, John Bolton, former national security advisor under Donald Trump and a former U.N. ambassador, wrote in The Washington Post in an op-ed, quote, even if President Biden is serious, Putin may not believe it based on past U.S. performance, including the United States recent Afghanistan withdrawal. The risk of risks of miscalculation are high. Madam Ambassador, how much does the withdrawal from Afghanistan loom in, in the background, do you think? You know, we ended a 20-year war. The president committed to doing that, uh, and he followed through on that commitment. It was a challenging withdrawal, uh, but I can tell you that I have met with our Afghan allies who are here in the U.S., including just as recently as yesterday, and people are proud of, of the support that the U.S. government has provided to them and proud of, of their uh, relationship with the, with the U.S. government. Uh, this was a, a situation uh, that we found, and the president fixed it. And while it it was it it, it was challenging, uh, we concluded uh, a war that has uh, been on um, on the shoulders of the American people uh, for more than twenty years. All right, Madam Ambassador, we've got about six minutes left, and I want to quickly try to go, <laughs> try to go around the world. China. Next month, the United States will not send government officials to the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. Should other nations in the UN follow the US's lead? Look, we've made our position clear. We will not uh, send a diplomatic uh, representation uh, to China uh, to uh, uh, represent the United States at the Games. We've not uh, uh, discouraged our athletes from participating. Uh, we think uh, it, as a true leader, uh, we need to raise our concerns uh, about the human rights violations that are, are, are being uh, committed in Xinjiang and the uh, uh, attacks on democracy in, in Hong Kong. And we can't just sit in, in this event and ignore those, those situations. Mm -hmm. and true leadership uh, requires that we raise this uh, raise these concerns publicly. How other mm -hmm. countries uh, proceed uh, is is up to those countries, but we hope that should those countries attend, that they will not uh, shy be shy to raise these concerns with the Chinese. Okay, three more countries to get to. North Korea. North Korea has launched six ballistic missiles since September 2021, which is a violation of UN Security Council resolutions. Um, I understand another resolution either is in the works or uh, has been passed. What good are new, new sanctions when the North Koreans don't abide by previous sanctions or previous reprimands? We will continue to ramp up the pressure on uh, 
on the North Koreans. Uh, their attacks are a violation of Security Council uh, resolutions. Uh, as you may have seen last week, uh, I went before uh, the press, uh, supported by other uh, colleagues to uh, raise our concerns. We had an intense discussion about this in the uh, Security Council, and uh, we're likely to have another uh, such discussion over the course of uh, this week. Um, Ethiopia, you served as Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs in the Obama administration. How concerned are you about the situation in Ethiopia? Uh, I am very, on a scale of uh, one to 10, I'm, I'm at a 10 in terms of my uh, concerns about the situation. Uh, when I was Assistant Secretary, we saw Ethiopia as one of the fastest growing economies on, in, in Africa. And now we are in a situation where uh, Ethiopians are in a major uh, crisis of uh, fighting uh, against each other. And we're seeing massive uh, uh, human rights uh, violations, humanitarian concerns uh, as well. Uh, my hope is that uh, we will uh, get to a ceasefire. As I've said previously, there are no good guys on either side. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, the victims of, of, the, uh, of this conflict uh, find a, a way to, to peace. And I'm hoping that uh, we see some of those actions taking place over the course of the next uh, few weeks toward uh, a, a ceasefire. The AU efforts under uh, President uh, Obasanjo and regional uh, partners will uh, bring uh, this country uh, to a peaceful conclusion of this conflict. Mm -hmm. Two more questions. Um, back to Ukraine and Russia and the talks. Um, what are you hearing from um, European allies? Are they fully backing the United States? Are, is the alliance unified when it comes to dealing with what's happening between Russia and Ukraine? The alliance is unified. We have engaged very, very closely with our European colleagues, uh, both uh, in, in Brussels, in their capitals, but also in, uh, in New York uh, to ensure that we are unified in our response to the Russians. And it is that unity that I know the Russians are very, very concerned about. And final question, Madam Ambassador, we just celebrated the holiday for Doc, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Um, that we are in, a, in quite a moment in this country when it comes to what he marched and died for. Um, just in your personal capacity, I would love, as we close out with less than a minute left, um, your reflections on Dr. King, his legacy, and our country right now. You know, uh, being able to celebrate the, um, the legacy of Dr. King is an extraordinarily important event for our country what he led the fight toward, the legacy that he has left behind is, is so, so powerful. And, uh, you know, I, I thought about as, as we look at what uh, is happening across our country, I grew up in the South, as you know, I grew up in Louisiana. I remember the first time my mother voted uh, and it was a hard one mm. uh, battle uh, to get the right to vote. And that battle continues and we won it before and we will win it again. And uh, we will just keep pressing forward uh, until we bring uh, the importance of voting uh, rights uh, uh, 
to a conclusion that allows for everyone to have uh, the the right to vote. Uh, we cannot sit on our laurels and and not uh, and not keep pushing forward. And Martin Luther King strength gave us the strength to do that. Linda Thomas Greenfield, United States Ambassador to the United Nations. Thank you so much for coming back to Capehart and to Washington Post Live. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be here and uh, happy belated new year. Thanks for listening to Capehart. It's produced by Julie Deppenbrock. We'll have new episodes for you every Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.